0: So, I decided to do a little research on church attendance in the United States. Now, I knew that it was way down since COVID, right? So, most of the pastors that I've talked to said it's maybe 38, 39% of people have come back after all of the COVID craziness and and shutdown. Um, But what, what I found actually shocked me because Gallup and all these different pollsters went out and they talked to all of these different folks in the United States and they asked them, do you go to church regularly? Meaning, do you go to church every week? And here's what they found. They found that 40%, so 4 out of 10 people in the United States said, yes, I go to church every week. I'm a regular church attender. That would be about 133 million Americans in church every Sunday. That kind of shocked me because that's almost as many people as go to all the professional sporting events in a year. Right, So I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. So then somebody came up with a bright idea to ask the churches how many people are coming. And so they surveyed all these churches in the United States, and they found out it's not anywhere close to 40%. It's 17.7% or 52 million people are in church on any given Sunday in the United States. And that's still a lot of people. But I thought, how in the world is there an 81 million person gap 133 people say they go to church, but when you talk to the churches, no, only 52 million come. So researchers gave it a name. It's called the halo effect. And I am not talking about the video game, right? This, the halo, I decided to look this up. So the halo actually came about. It's, it's a pagan symbol. It started non-Christian and, and about 300 years before Christ, they started painting people with these little things, we call them halos, that, that um, signified that this was a special person. Either they were, they were a king or, or it might have been angelic. It, there, there was something special about them. It didn't come into the Christian church until hundreds of years later. I always remember seeing you know stained glass windows and wondering why Jesus had a halo and why certain people had halos. And how certain people didn't, you know, all of that. So the halo effect actually, here's the definition. It's the difference between what people tell posters and what people actually do. It goes on to say, Americans tend to over-report socially desirable behavior like voting and attending church And Americans tend to under-report undesirable behavior like, and I'm using theirs, like drinking or not going to church. And I went, wait, what? People are lying about going to church? So they'll look better? That doesn't make sense to me. So this pollster thought, okay, we'll dumb it down, right? We're not going to talk about every church. We'll dumb down the definition of regular church attendance to three out of every eight Sundays. Surely that'll give us a bump in numbers. It went from 17.7 to 23%. If you only come every three, three out of every eight Sundays. So that would be 83 million people in church any given Sunday. Although 133 million say they were there. I just don't understand that. Now, I want to talk about why the church is a big deal. Uh, if you if you follow our, our uh, Facebook page, you saw that um, I posted this week. We're going to talk about the foundation of our spiritual lives. And and we're going to talk about how God meets your five deepest needs. And, and I'm going to talk to you over the next several weeks about how God meets your five deepest needs through the church. Um, we're going to look at God's definition of a church and why you desperately need to be a part of one. And here's why. Here's at least one of the reasons. There are five irreplaceable benefits of being part of a church family i say irreplaceable because it means you can't get them anywhere else it is exclusive to the church you can only get these benefits if you are a member of a church and i realize that's a bold claim but if you'll give me the next five or six sundays i'm going to show you from the word of god the truth of that claim so we're going to start with the definition of church today and i'm going to tell you what the church is not church is not a building right? We meet in a building, but we are not a building. The church is not a building. I'm wearing this shirt today to emphasize the point. When we dismiss today and when we leave, the church has left the building. The church is people, right? We gather together and we talk about going to church and we we mean we're going to gather at a building, but, but the church isn't the building. The church is you. And we gather together as the church to worship the Savior. So, um, Jesus didn't die for a building. He died for people. Churches meet buildings, but they're not a building. Second thing I want you to know is the church is not an organization. It's an organism, not yet. It's an organism. What I mean by that, the, the Bible calls the church a body. And, and we are connected together. Every person has, um, has a part to play in the body. You are so ahead of me. Um, I'm getting there. It's called a body. It's called the bride. It is an organism, not an organization. Some people say, I hate organized religion. Buddy, I'm right there with you. So we're kind of disorganized religion, right? All right, yeah, thank you. I know that's right, baby. So here we go. It's been up there a while, so it should be burned in your brain. A church is not a place I go to. It's not an event I attend. It's a spiritual family that I belong to. Now we're going to we're going to look at a passage of scripture from Acts chapter 2 and and I need to tell you what's happened. So Jesus has been crucified for our sins. He's been laid in the tomb. He's been resurrected for 40 days. He appears to people all around Jerusalem. Appears to one time as many as 500 people at the same time. And then he tells his disciples, his disciples watch him go up into heaven and he says, "I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to stay in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you." And so the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit decides to come, and, and the Bible says that there's this sound like a mighty rushing wind. It doesn't say there was a, a mighty rushing wind. It said it sounded like there was a mighty rushing wind. Now, there's people all over Jerusalem because of, the, because of Pentecost. They hear this sound. They come to where the disciples were. There's 120 of them worshiping in this upper room. They're, they're trying to figure out what this sound is. And, and Peter stands up and he gives the very first sermon. And he goes back and he says, this is what God's plan from the beginning. And then he says these words. He says, this Jesus, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the Bible says that all those people were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do? And, and Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then look what happens in, in Acts 2 verse 41. Those who believed, okay, so there's a lot of big words, a lot of important words here that describe what a church is. Those who believed what Peter said were what? So believing comes first and then baptism, and they were what? Added to the church. They became church members. They attached themselves to a body, about 3,000. So they go from 120 to 3,000 in one day. That's awesome. All the believers I like these next two words. All the believers did what? devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals. And and I like this. This is in the New Living Translation. This parentheses is is in that that translation, including the Lord's Supper and in prayer. So what does it mean to devote yourself? To me, it's not a whole lot different than when I stood on May twenty fifth, 1991, and I devoted myself to Janie to be my one and only. And then when I join a church, I am devoted to that church. And and I don't think there's any difference in any church member in the level that your devotion should be at. It shouldn't be one level for the pastor. That's not even what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that God gave pastors and teachers to the church to equip the church to do the work of the church. We think, we being Baptists, because this is a Southern Baptist church, whether you know it or not, that may surprise you. In all of the Southern Baptist churches I've been in, we hire a staff and say, you go do the work. And then we sit there and maybe we cheer or maybe we criticize. That is not God's plan. Love it when you guys are here. Y'all just talk. We talked about it when y'all were here a few weeks ago. Man, that was awesome. Y'all got me ready for Mount Olive. We'll, We'll talk about Mount Olive in just a minute. So they, they worshiped together. This goes on in, in Acts 2.46. They worshiped together regularly at the temple each day. Each day, say, what? You ain't going to call us to come to church every day, are you? They met in small groups in homes for communion and shared their meals together with great joy and thankfulness. So, so let's define the church. Here it is. A church is a group of baptized believers devoted to God and to each other who gather together regularly. I'm not saying you have to be here every night. I don't want to be here every night. I get tired of some of y'all. That's actually true. I do get, but okay. They're devoted to God and to each other who gather together regularly to do what? Glorify God and expand His kingdom. Did you know that every story in Scripture has two goals? To glorify God and expand His kingdom. And if we're going to be a church that honors God, we have to do that. We have to glorify God and expand his kingdom. It's why we're here. You have a job to do, a reason God created you. And if you think the only reason you're on this planet is to go to work every day, Monday through Friday or whatever your work schedule is, and then play whatever game you play on the weekends, I don't care what game it is. If you think that's it, you have, you're missing the reason you were created. The church in Acts was unified. It doesn't mean everybody thought exactly alike, but they were unified. we got to tell people about Christ. People have to know. People have to know. If you watch the chosen Christmas special, people have to know. Wasn't it in that one? I don't know. It was in one of them. People must know. People must know. People must know. know. We can't ever forget that that we exist. We're the only organism on the planet that exists for people who aren't here. Let me make sure you got that. The church is the only organism on the planet that exists for people who aren't here. We gather to, to lift the name of Christ. You can worship in a crowd. You can get fired up in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. It takes small groups to help you fellowship, so we need both. This church was unified. Because they were unified, God magnified their, um, their work in the, in the surrounding areas, and then he multiplied. So this first church, they weren't content to meet once a week for services as usual. They met daily, cared daily, won people to Christ daily, searched the scriptures daily, and God increased their numbers daily. Their Christian life was a daily reality, not a once a week or not a three times out of eight Sundays routine. And God blessed them. And what kind of preacher would I be if I did not warn you that if you aren't devoted to God and his people, you're probably gonna miss out on the greatest adventure of your life. It's not just the adventure of your lifetime. It's it's the only place you can get an adventure beyond your lifetime. The church is the most important group on earth, and and I want to show you how I know. Number one, the church is God's family. Every person is a creation of God, but not every person is a child of God. You become a part of the human race by being born, And, and I just have to know, did any of you choose your birth date? You did a little, you know... Signal to your mama, I want to be born on this day. We actually chose Caleb's birthday. Caleb was was late being born. So the doctor said to Janie, well, you can have this date, this date, or this date. And she said, how about January 27th, 1995? So he didn't come before then, so we got up bright and early. We went to uh, South Arlington Medical Center, and and they started the Pitocin drip. And about six and a half, seven hours later, we had a boy. We chose his birthday, January 27th. We didn't choose Rachel and Hannah's birthday. Janie went into labor, and 20-something years ago, we were here, so on May 3rd, we get up, and Janie's like, it's happening. We're having a baby today. So we go to labor and delivery at Palestine Regional. We walk in, and the the nurses were so confused. They said, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm gonna have a baby. They said, you're not on our schedule. (laughs) She said, I'm having the baby. I'm in labor, and they went, oh, we're so sorry. I don't remember if it, which one, but we did this with Hannah as well. We went in. Same thing. I think it's the same nurses. What are you doing here? We're going to have a baby. No, you're not. You're not on the schedule. Oh, it's coming. One of them, there were no labor and delivery rooms. They stuck us in a closet. I'm not making this up. I'm holding Janie's hand going, I hope that somebody gets done over there because ain't room in here for all of us with the baby. And by the grace of God, they did. We didn't choose their birthday because they. she went into labor. Now, my point is you didn't choose your birthday. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose where you would be born. You didn't have a choice. But when it comes to the family of God, you have a choice. And you have to choose. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, All honor to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is his boundless mercy that has given us the privilege of being, what are those two words? Born again. So I want you to say this word, regeneration. Say it again, regeneration. God has given us the privilege of being born again. That means made alive. Scripture says you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and you have to be made alive. Dead people don't make themselves alive. An outside force has to come and act upon them. So regeneration is the Holy Spirit of God coming into you and making you alive spiritually. We're born again so that we're now members of God's own family. You didn't choose to be born. You have to choose to be born again, and that's regeneration. Now, Paul um, was writing a letter to Timothy, who was a young pastor, and he says, I'm giving you all these instructions about how to do church, and then what he says in 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 chapter 3, verse 15, he says, if I'm delayed, the reason I wrote this is if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's, what is that word? Household. God has a family. God has a household. Well, what's the household? He tells us, which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of truth. The church is God's family. And this word church, it's used about a 100 times in the New Testament, and almost every time it refers to a local body of believers. Um, it's called an assembly of those who are in the family of God. And it is the only, you know, there's lots of assemblies. We have a governmental assemblies, you have school assemblies, but the church is the only assembly of the living God. And that's why it's more important than any other assembly, any business, any government, anything else. Here's one of my verses that I, that I memorize every day. It's one of them that I just go over and I stuck this in. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. And it says, don't you know, oh, is it not in there? Nope, thought I put it in there. So here it is. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Now, later, if you know anything about the Scripture in in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about you as the individual are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is talking about we together, the church, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he says, don't you know, and I've told you this before, whenever Paul or somebody in Scripture says, don't you know, it means you don't know. You don't know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God's Spirit lives in you. I say, i got to go through it again. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, listen to this, the church, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred. And then here it is. He says, you together are that temple. (laughs) So the first reason that the church is the most important group on earth, it's God's family, and he takes it very, very seriously. Number two, the church is the reason God created the universe. You may not know that. God wanted a family, and that family's called the church. Look at it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. This is from the Living Bible. Long ago, even before the world was made, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. Jesus was never plan B. It wasn't like God created everything. Oh, we messed it up. Let's have a plan B. From before, it's called the the counsels of God in eternity past. Before anything was created, you were on God's mind. Before... He made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. Jesus was always plan A. As far as God is concerned, believers were saved on the day he decided on this plan in eternity past before anything was created. As far as Jesus Christ is concerned, people are saved the day that he gave his life as a substitutionary atonement for your sins. And if you accept that substitutionary atonement, you're saved. As far as the Holy Spirit is concerned, you're saved the day that you you submit to his um, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Here's my point. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all have a part part in your salvation, in your regeneration. Whether it was in eternity past or whether it was 2,000 years ago on the cross or whether it was for me when I was six years old in a little Baptist church on a Sunday night when I walked down and I said, I'm going to hell unless I have Jesus in my heart and I asked Jesus to save me. So it's past, present, and future tense. Look at Ephesians 1.5, the very next verse. His, God's unchanging plan, has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. Okay, back to regeneration. Regeneration means you're born again. You're made alive spiritually. You are not alive spiritually when you're born. You're alive physically but not spiritually. You have to be made new. You have to be regenerated. You become a part of God's family because you're born again into God's family but you, when he adopts you, he gives you the rights as an adult son. In the first century, if you talked about adoption, it wasn't because you were adopting a baby who didn't have um, good parents or whatever. You adopted a, an adult child, and it usually meant that your children kind of sucked and you didn't want to leave your stuff to them because they didn't know how to act. And so you found someone that would act like you wanted them to act. You would adopt them and give them all your stuff. When the Bible talks about adoption, you're regenerated, born into the family of God, but he gives you the rights of an adult son or daughter the moment you come to Christ. You don't realize all of that. You have to grow up spiritually. You have to be sanctified. Sanctification is the the process of going from being an infant spiritually to being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it takes you every bit of your life to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. In fact, you won't even get there until you stand before your Savior in heaven. God wanted a family. It's why he created the universe. If God didn't want a church family, there would not be anything in existence. Number three, why the church is the greatest group on the planet. The church is how God works in the world. I I skipped over Jeff, but I'm going to go to it right here. So you remember when I came back and I was praying and I I challenged you guys to, to give $10,000. Ten thousand dollars. Actually, I challenged the church to give five thousand dollars to the, the the members, and then the board said, "We'll match it five thousand dollars." We'll take ten thousand dollars to Mount Olive Baptist Church because of all the stuff they've gone through, all of the crazy things: two hurricanes, um, an ice storm, and a tornado in in the thirteen month period. So I, I I thought I thought I was stretching the church by challenging you to. Give $5,000. And then people just kept giving and kept giving. And I don't know if you were here that day that I announced that, that we were over $10,000. And then I announced that we got up to $15,000. So we took a $20,000 check to Mount Olive. That is crazy to me. That is just totally crazy. So we, uh, Teresa wrote it out. And we, we asked Pastor uh, Harris to come hang out with us. We were going to have pizza at the church before we started working. So we worked all day Saturday at the church hanging stuff. And you'll see that in a minute. And then we had pizza after church on Sunday. And so we asked him to come over. And here's just a few seconds of me actually present. This was the coolest thing. So we're sitting in. They have these these booths that were donated. And it's like a, so they have their commercial kitchen. And it's like an eating area. So we're sitting there waiting on pizza. And we asked Pastor Harris to come out. And so I, I he has no clue. And you could see our people, our church people, are they're just, they're, they're like, you know, a parent when, when a kid is about to open up a great present, they're, they're going, Here we go, watch this. Just a few seconds of this.
1: And I went to our board and I challenged
0: our church. And I went to our board and I challenged
1: our church. Yeah, and I challenged our
0: church. our board. It's okay. on us it's on a loop and uh, and I'm just going to tell you that, If Keith is uh, around Keith would you go back Jesus, there and figure that out we'll show it later challenge the church to cuz God said, watch this right wow. So when I would announce it to our church I'd say well here's the total I'm just I don't even know so so we wanted to give you this no strings attached this is for you and my albert he calls his wife over Watch her reaction so,
1: for church went home, they got the logo, they got the logo from, from the sermon white. Okay, yeah. and so they went home, they prayed, decided they would give it all from the church. Okay, and so today they just gave them to the church. Wow, all right?
0: Wow. So the next day I was talking to Pastor, and um we were in the parking lot, we we're just having a good conversation, and he said, Oh man, he said. As soon as as soon as I gave so he gave the check to the the financial secretary she was still there she comes in she can't even talk she's just weeping she said I can't believe you guys did this thank you thank you so much so the next day I'm talking he said he said as soon as church was over I started texting all of our leadership you're not gonna believe what this church did you know and, and uh, it was so and they're like why didn't they do it in church and and the thing is I didn't I didn't want to bring attention to our church anything I wanted his church service to be about um, whatever message God put on his heart but I wanted you to see the impact that you have when you give generously. And, and he, he makes a promise. He said every, every bit of this offering will be, be used to glorify God and expand his kingdom. And they're even talking about they want to come visit us, load up a bus, as many people as want to come and, and come have church with us one day. And I said, come on. So they're making plans to do that. And I want to challenge you to make plans to go back with us. If you can't go, then you need to pray and you need to give and, and help other people go. We're hoping that we can put on a roof. Um, so Volcraft donated um, 29 tons of metal that can that can fix... Actually, we think we have enough to fix all of their roofs that haven't been repaired yet and we're trying to figure out how to get some money to do that, and we're trying to figure out how we can do it. George and my brother are both roofers, and they're, they're um, talking about how we can go. We'll have to do some demolition. That's got to be professionally hired, but then how, how just ordinary people can get up there, and George can boss us around, and, uh, and we can put on. So that may be what we do. We're, we're praying about that's what we do this summer. The church is how God works in the world. Here's what he says in Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. His, and I put this, this in there, God's, God's intent was that now through the church, check this out, the manifold. I I put manifold in in a different color because I want you to see it. It actually means the multifaceted, multicolored wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose. He decided this before he created anything that he he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to see the message paraphrase of this because this is really cool. Uh, Verse 10. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. So I did some study on this. And and so God's wisdom is being proclaimed in the heavens. And it's talking about the church. Now, you may not understand this. The Old Testament, God chose the Israelites. They had no clue about the church. Paul calls the church a mystery that we didn't find out about until Jesus died on the cross, was raised again, and Jesus says, I'm gonna build my church. We know the church is the mystery where the Jews and the Gentiles come together as one and the angels in heaven are declaring the incredible manifold wisdom of God by establishing a church where there's no there's no race, there's no religion, there's, there, there's nothing that separates us in the presence of Christ. And then I studied, they said, what about? So that's what the that's what the good angels do, the angels in heaven. They're proclaiming the glory of God, the manifold wisdom of God. What do the, the fallen angels do? And this one commentator said, the fallen angels have realized that their leader, Satan, has no wisdom. If he did, he never would have sent Jesus to the cross. He wouldn't have tried to use the cross because the cross is where the Jews and the Gentiles and the men and the women, the slaves and the free, the blacks, whites, reds, whatever color, come together. There's no distinction in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have a role to play, right? We can't all be pastors. Y'all know we would never get out of this church if we were all pastors, And we would never decide on the color of the carpet if we were all pastors, but there's no distinction of race, of, of economic status, of sexual and by there, there's only two men or women, there's only two options. But in God, we're all one. And Satan, Satan's followers realize, he's a fool. For using the cross to try to wipe out Jesus. That was God's plan from the beginning. Now, probably everybody here has heard that Jesus died for sinners, to save sinners. But did you know that, number four, Jesus died for the church? Jesus didn't die for your nation. He didn't die for your business. For whom did he die? The Bible says the church. Ephesians 5, 25, and 27. If you've been to any wedding that I've done, I'm going to read these verses Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and what does a loving husband like Christ do for the church? He gave himself for it. How does he give himself for it? He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. In in some translations, it says, dressing her, washing her with water through the word, which is the word of God, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant in holiness. This is what Jesus did for the church when he died. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault, with no evil or sin or any other wrong thing in it. If you want to know how valuable something is, look what someone is willing to pay for it. What did Jesus pay for the church? His life. Do you really, do you really so despise the body, the bride of Christ, that you're not going to give it an hour a week? and then someday you're going to stand before God? Don't tell me you love me and you don't love my bride. We're not going to be friends. Now, I get it if you tell her you love her and you don't love me. I totally get that. (laughs) We can be friends. But if you don't like the church, the bride of Christ, if you don't like the body of Christ, I don't think there's anything in heaven you're going to like. Number five, why is the church only the the, the greatest group on earth? Only the church will last forever. The U.S. isn't going to last forever. Walmart's not going to last forever. When I went to Costa Rica for the pastor's conference, the, the missionary that was driving me around, he's, he lives in Alabama now, but he used to live in Costa Rica for three years. And so he's driving around showing me stuff. I used to live there and live there. He said, you want to know what changed my life when I, when I uh, was living in Costa Rica? And I said, sure. And we drove by and it was Walmart. He said, Walmart changed my life. <laughs> well, Walmart's not going to last forever. And he knows that. Ephesians three twenty and 21. Here's what Paul tells the Ephesians. Now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory where in the what? In the church and in Christ Jesus for how long? Throughout all generations, in case you don't get that, forever and ever. Amen. In, in, when Paul writes a letter to the church at Thessalonica, he's talking about the second coming of Christ. I mentioned this earlier. So he says that, that those who are... Who have died in Christ, when Christ returns, they will be raised first. And he says, and then those of us who are alive and remain, look what he says, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Who's we? It's the church. And the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll share with you today is only the church will win against evil. Jesus the founder of our faith, the author and perfecter of our faith, said these words in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. Did he say he'll build your business? Did he say he will build your youth camp? I can really step in a whole lot of stuff right now. Did he say I will build? Whatever, you you fill in the blank. He said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus doesn't give a rip about building my reputation or your reputation. He's into building churches. And do you know how you can tell the difference between an attender and a member of a church? An attender says these words. Is that on there? Yeah. Oh, I love your church. A member says, I love my church. It's personal. And you actually can see this a lot of times on, on Facebook. Somebody will say, I love my church, and then they'll say, Why? It's very, very personal. And, and how it becomes personal is you move from being a consumer to a contributor. Nowhere in Scripture are you supposed to sit in the stands and cheer the professionals who do the work of the church. Nowhere in Scripture are you supposed to sit in the stands and criticize the people who are doing the work of the church. Do you know if if a sign of maturity is when you desperately want to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem? Problem people throw rocks and they hide in their glass houses. Problem solvers humble themselves before Christ. They seek to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. And at all times, they glorify God. That's how a church prevails. So, over the next few weeks, here's where we're going to look. The church family does five things for us. Helps me focus on God. I mentioned youth camp. Why is a youth camp effective? I actually believe God called me into ministry at youth camp when I was a junior in high school. It's very effective. Why? Because you get away from the distractions. Your church is supposed to help you get away from the distractions. But if you don't come to your church, I like that thing that you posted, Rebecca, that, what was it, something about the church, assembly required? I don't remember. What what was it? The church is a gift from God, assembly required. I do scroll through all, you know, I don't post a lot on Facebook, but I scroll through. Assembly required. Who's supposed to assemble it? We are. Second thing, the church helps me face, my, face life's problems. In Galatians, it says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the laws of Christ. Now, it, sa- it also says that each person is supposed to bear their own burden. So the normal things of life, you're supposed to do the normal things of life. But when my mom and my dad and my sister all died in a car wreck on the same day, that's not a th- normal thing of life. And people came around me and they helped me walk through And when we, were, when we were driving to mental hospitals, there were those who threw rocks. But there were those who crawled up underneath our arms and prayed with us and prayed for us. And it's the only reason I'm still in the ministry today. Because the church helped me face life's problems. Church helps me fortify my faith. That means strengthen my faith church helps me find my place. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift that is given to them by God to build up the church. You don't get to make up your own gift. The scripture says very clearly, the Holy Spirit decides who gets what gift. You have at least one, you probably have more than one, and you're supposed to use that gift to build up the church. And I have to tell you, you're going to answer to Jesus for whether you use that gift or not. You see, When you die, there's two questions that that God the Father is going to ask you. These are the final exam. He loves you so much that he gives you the questions in advance. The first question is, what would you do with my son, Jesus Christ? You do not get into heaven without Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way. It's it's narrow because Jesus said it's narrow. And so if I'm going to be like Jesus, I have to say there's one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, his substitutionary death. If you have not accepted him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you will not stay in heaven. He will say, Depart from me because I do not know you. Question number one What'd you do with Jesus? If you didn't accept him, you got to leave. If you spend your whole life rejecting him, why would a loving God allow you to come into heaven? If you reject him in this life, then you reject him in the next, and God honors your wishes to reject him forever. First question What'd you do with my son Jesus? Second question What'd you do with what I gave you? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Last I checked, y'all all all breathing. And and Matt knows this because we watched Pastor Harris last week, and I'll have to share more of this later. But Pastor Harris was talking about God inspects the fig tree. You need to go read about the fig tree. He came for three years to inspect a fig tree. And so he used this illustration. He said, the Holy Spirit came today because I invited him. This is what Pastor Harris said. I invited him. He walked down the aisle and he says, you got breath. And the Holy Spirit said, little bit of praise. No praise. I'm not pointing at you when I say no praise. Oh, I don't even know you. I went, holy cow, I rewound it. I was like, that was good. I want to listen to that again. Janie, listen to this. What'd you do with Jesus? What'd you do with what I gave you? The first question determines whether you go to heaven. The second question determines your rewards in heaven. And my job and this church's job is to get you ready for the final exam. And the last thing that I'll tell you about today The church family helps me fulfill my life's mission. You have a job to do in the church. You have a mission to do outside the walls of the church. The church is about to leave the building, and God has put some people in your path that only you can reach. A lot of people won't even give me the time of day because I'm a preacher. I'm a professional. But they'll listen to you because they've seen you walk with Christ, and they'll listen to your story, and then maybe they'll come to the church. And maybe we can all be a part of them coming to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for our church family. Help us to learn the truth about the church family and to be devoted to you and to one another. Help us to learn how much the church means to you and so it better mean something to us. Now, if you've never invited Christ into your life, you're not a part of God's family. You can change that right now. January 2nd, 2022 can be the day that you are born again and adopted into God's family. And here's how you do that. You just pray silently right where you are. God, I want to be a part of your family. Help me to know you and your plan for my life. Today, I'm asking you to forgive my sins and lead me the rest of my life. Teach teach me why you made me and how I can make a difference for your kingdom. I'm asking to be born again and to be adopted into your family through the death of Jesus on the cross. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that, please tell me on the back of your card because I need to talk with you about how you began growing up spiritually. We have two baskets in the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we give here. It's on the in the living room on the Welcome Center, so you can give there, or you can give online, nlccp.com. There's another basket. It's the registration card basket. and um, Put prayer concerns, anything you want me to pray about, put on there. If it's okay to share, put Share, If not, I'll, I'll be the only one that prays over that. Okay, I wanted to see, real quick, I, I, I know I went too long. I'm not Pastor Harris, though, because last week, Pastor Harris preached an hour and a half, so y'all getting off, You're half price today. Um, so I want you to see this video. It's a three-minute video. This was what happened at Lake Charles, and I want you to pray about going with us this summer, and then we'll be dismissed.
1: Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? is it all too much to carry let me tell you about my jesus do you feel that empty feeling cause shame's done all it's stealing and you're desperate for some healing let me tell you about my jesus he makes a way where there ain't no way about me, let me tell you about my Jesus, oh, he makes a way
0: where there rain Thanks for Rach putting that together. Um, So be praying about going with us. We'd love to take uh, 25, 30 people back down there this summer and uh, have a great time. Stand up, hug four people, tell them you love them. You're dismissed.